Monsters Walk With Us contains explicit language, adult themes, violence, and may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome. Welcome back, friends. Welcome if you're new. Excited to have you here. Super excited to be here recording this week and doing another twist episode. We have Rachel yet again back doing the research again this time, taking the reins. So excited to have you here. I'm glad to be here. It's great to be back. Today, I am going to cover the sudden and tragic death of Phil Hartman. (gasps) Rachel, this is on my list of cases to record with you. (laughs) Like down like down the list. This is one of the names. Wow. How wild yeah. is that? Okay. Yeah. So I know like the vague outlines. What are the odds of that? It's cool that you were going to record it with me. I just, I never heard about it. Matt actually told me, my husband, he said something about it. Like, yeah, that guy was murdered. And then um, I don't think it's any secret. It was by his wife. So it's, it's a murder suicide. Yeah. Murder suicide. So content warning, murder-suicide, and I believe intimate partner abuse also is part of this, right? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I cannot believe that I (laughs) had this on my list also to record specifically with you. Wow. So on September 24th, 1948, Bill Hartman came busting into this world, but his name was Philip Edward Hartman with two N's. He was a born a Libra, and the fourth of seven or eight children I have written here. Either way, he's the middle child, and he was born to devout Catholic parents. Relatable. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, He was born in Ontario, Canada, and moved to Southern California when he was like 10 years old. And of course, in school, he was the class clown. He garnered all kinds of attention in school that he wasn't able to get when he was at home, obviously. Lots of stuff going on, I'm sure, in that house. Yeah, yeah. A lot of kids. There's two of them here, and I am like, what is going on? It's (laughs) chaos. So (laughs) what I didn't know about Phil was that he he went off to college in SoCal. I think he went to California State. And after college, he worked as a graphic designer. And I think for like big companies, he designed album covers for various bands. Wow. Yeah. And he did, I think it's the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young logo. That Their logo was created by Phil Hartman. Wow. That is yeah. wild. So he was really not fulfilled there. Yeah. Wow. Imagine like working that close with music and musicians and like even to be on the fringes of that and then still be like, yeah, but this isn't what makes me happy. I'm going to go for it. That is, yeah, that really takes a lot of, you have to bet on yourself and it's a huge leap of faith. For a little while between like this design life that he had and like becoming the Phil Hartman that we saw on SNL. A lot of stuff happened, but something really notable was that in 1975, he joined the California comedy troupe, the Groundlings. I've heard of them before. Yeah, he met Paul Rubens there. Uh, okay. Was really good friends with him. and Louis Herman? Yes. And his lifelong friend, Phil's lifelong friend till the day he died was John Lovitz, who he also met in the Groundlings. I was a big John Lovitz fan uh, I liked the critic a lot when oh, I was a like kid. Yeah. yeah. Matt loves John Lovitz. Together, Paul and Phil Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, went on to create the character of Pee Wee Herman together. And they later even wrote 
um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Phil is in that show, which I didn't remember, but he has the recurring role of Cap and Carl. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. I was like, what? And when I saw his face, I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. He's in that too. I never watched a whole lot of Pee Wee Herman because I think he annoyed the fuck out of my parents. <laughs> As an adult, yeah, I can see that. I'm not sure that's why, but I have a feeling <laughs> the two may be linked. After Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Phil and Rubens had a falling out before they could do, well, when they did the sequel. When they were writing the sequel, Phil, he basically expressed concerns that Paul was going to like pigeonhole himself in the role of Pee Wee. Oh, like if we keep doing these. Yeah, if we keep doing these movies, like you won't be able to do much else. But Paul was like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Well, 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 well. After that falling out, they never spoke again. Uh, So is that when they were making the movie? Yeah, the Uh, second movie. Yeah. Okay, damn. Yeah, that's rough. But I I mean, I gotta say, Phil Hartman was right, because... That is what happened. I've seen Paul Rubin in other things. I don't remember what they are. Was he in the movie Blow? He might have been. He's also in Cheech and Chong. Um, okay. The next movie, I think it is. Well, see, I mean, we're we're kind of proving the point right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, Paul. But yeah, sorry. I mean, he's doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He's like, I don't need you. He's, he's um, upset on our <laughs> approval, I'm sure. He's got uh, that peewee money. Okay, wow. Yeah, I had no idea any of this. Like, I guess I vaguely might have known he was on Pee Wee Herman's show, but probably thought that was just like a career starter. I always think of him as the dad in the Matt Foley skits because I just love Chris Farley so much. And it's like the van down by the river. Oh, skits. yes. He's yep. Phil Hartman is the father in that, but he's also in the Coneheads, which I love seen a million times. We just watched it recently, but little tiny roles he has on, on things like that. I think I knew him on, was it Spin City? Was that a show that he did? It was about a radio station and Joe Rogan was on there. And Michael J. Fox, I think, was on there. And Andy Dick was on there. Is that the name of it? I have to check right now. I don't usually (laughs) look things up mid-pod, but... Well, he was incredibly prolific as an entertainer. And he had minor roles in tons of stuff like uh, Coneheads. I have a list here. Jingle All the Way, Small Soldiers. Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, my God, girl. Oh, it's not Spin City. It's called News Radio. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. News Radio, I believe he was working on when he passed away. Yeah, because that was later in his career. I definitely remember Small Soldiers. I had the meanest crush on that boy, that lead actor, I know. Gregory I Allen know. Smith. Unhealthy. And uh, I almost rewatched that movie recently. And I was like, you know what? Let me just watch like a quick review on YouTube. And I'm glad that I didn't. That's one of those things that you should just leave untouched by nostalgia. Yes. Uh, Well, what was really fascinating about Phil was that he didn't just act but he was also an extremely talented voice actor. He did voices on The Simpsons for the B-movie actor Troy McClure and the bad lawyer. Immediately when I think of his voice, it's the Troy McClure voice. Yeah. Or Lionel Hutz, is that, that's the uh, lawyer that I always think of. He's like an ambulance chaser, right? Basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he also did voice work on my favorite show of all time, Ren and Stimpy. Okay. And the Brave Little Toaster. He also did the voice of Gigi the Cat in Kiki's Delivery Service. Okay. 
interesting. Yeah, like he did all these interesting and small roles on animated series too. I have a useless superpower of being able to recognize voice actors pretty quickly. Okay. And it's like, it never really comes in handy. Except when you're watching something. Sometimes as soon as I hear the voice, I'm like, oh, it's this person. And nine times out of 10, when I look it up, I am right. It's like a fifth sense. I thought someone was Mark Hamill recently, though, in a Batman, and they were not. I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't Mark Hamill. Because he plays the Joker now, if you didn't know. I didn't. (laughs) The animated Batman movies. Yeah. There's animated Batman movies? Oh, yeah. All right. We could keep it moving. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) For adults, Uh. not for kids. Okay. Yeah. Like the the dark, Uh. like, comic book storylines. Oh, Oh, like the comic books. Yeah. Well, in 1986, Phil joined the cast of Saturday Night Live, and he remained there for eight seasons. Oh, wow. He might have been one of the longest crew members. Edit that out. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Um. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely one of the most memorable. I will say that. He was in so many skits. They even called him the glue behind the scenes because he would hold everything together. But... His life off screen and his self and persona off screen was much more low key and reserved. In an ABC interview, his second wife, Lisa Jarvis, said, My sense of Phil was that he was really two people. He was the guy who wanted to draw and write and think and create and come up with ideas. He was the actor, entertainer, and then he was the recluse. So he would go on to meet his third wife, Bryn Omdahl, in November of 1987. I remember her name being Bryn. Yes, it's a very pretty name. It is a very pretty name. I agree. But he was married twice before that, obviously. She was his third wife. And he met her. She came to LA in the 80s to pursue a career in modeling and acting. And then she unfortunately succumbed to addiction specifically to cocaine and alcohol. By the time she met Phil, she had already been sober and in recovery. Okay. Together, Phil and Bryn would go on to have two children. But where Phil was quiet and reserved, Bryn, even in her sobriety, was said to have like a quick and intense temper and even occasional bouts of jealousy, which, okay. Not good. Not good. Yeah. (laughs) It's one thing to be jealous, but intense temper and quick to anger like that yeah yeah it's not great so an example of this rage was given in that abc interview by hartman's second wife again she described a time when hartman and omdahl had their first child and his second wife lisa wrote them a letter of congratulations but Bryn didn't really receive this letter with much grace oh no i knew you were about to say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah apparently lisa got back this scathing letter and lisa said quote i got back a letter that was hair curling fury rage and a death threat from Bryn." she said the gist of it was don't ever fucking get near me or my family or i will hurt you i never want to hear from you never ever ever come near us or you will be really sorry end quote wow wow so that's like the level of jealousy yeah Ooh, i mean i I'm jealous, even though Mike has never dated someone else. I'm extremely <laughs> jealous. There have been girls at his jobs in the past that I'm like, well, what's her name? What does she look like? He's like, I don't even. He's it literally like, I don't know. <laughs> she has dyed hair. I don't know. Her hair is brown. Like literally not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, well, it's not Bryn Omdahl levels. I would not be writing letters with death threats. It feels a bit of an overreaction, actually, in this situation. It seems like a lot, yeah, because it's a letter you could just as easily not respond at all. And just, do you know, out of curiosity, if he had kids with the second wife, or are these his no. first children? These are his okay. first children. Okay. Damn, still. Yeah. So it was a lot. Bryn, chill. At the least. I feel like opening that letter and reading that would have me so concerned. Like not for my, not just for my safety or, you know, by the contents of it, but like you are not in a healthy place. You are not okay. Yeah. For their future. Yeah. I I think Lisa, his second wife and him remained friendly. They, they got together. I believe they met in the groundlings. Lisa is super cool especially speaking about their love. They fell in love quickly and had a great time and they got married and things sort of over time, like she would say, you know, he got quiet, he got reserved. He would go in his room. He was working. Like it just wasn't working out. She wanted to go out and be young and he was a true, true introvert, maybe a little beyond. Sure. So they remained friendly and everything and didn't have any children together. So he's like overcompensating publicly by being this huge comedy force and yeah. like refining that and doing that over time, but then withdrawing more and more in his personal life. Yeah. And I never thought about it until you just said that, but it kind of must mirror how it was for him to be a small child of seven in the middle and not getting that attention at home and being alone. And then when you're at school, you get to be on. Yeah. And you can turn it off when you go home. Damn. This yeah. poor man. I know. Steve Small was Hartman's lawyer and close friend. And he said in an interview with the Los Angeles Times that about Bryn, that she, quote, had trouble controlling her anger. She got attention by losing her temper. Phil said he had to restrain her at times, unquote. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. According to Small, Hartman would often end their fights by withdrawing and going to sleep, preferring to let her cool off overnight. Bryn, at this point, began to drink and abuse cocaine again. So Hartman would say, quote, I go into my cave and she throws grenades to get me out, unquote. Oof. I was like, that is piercing. Ugh, that's awful. That's so awful. By May of 1998, Bryn had been in and out of rehab again, battling addiction, this time to alcohol, drugs, and the antidepressants she was prescribed because she would mix them and then get really violent and angry. Oh, God. It just keeps getting worse. Yeah. So on the evening of May 27th of 98, Bryn had dinner with a friend at Buco de Beppo, and they were laughing, had a good time. Her friend said that Bryn only had about two drinks and was in good spirits. And when Bryn was walking out the door, she was telling somebody in the restaurant, a manager or something like that she would be back soon and she was going to bring Phil, but that would not be the case because... Sometime after Bryn arrived home, her and Phil began fighting. So according to allthatsinteresting.com, Phil and Bryn were allegedly arguing about a prior incident where I guess Bryn had, I don't know, she hit one of the children. Something happened between Bryn and the children where Phil kind of stepped in and was like, if you are using again and you are drinking, we're going to have to end this. Yeah. So they're fighting about this and Phil apparently retreats to his bedroom to let her cool off and try to defuse the situation. Sure. But Bryn is charged up 
And she goes and gets one of the guns that the family keeps in the home and goes into the room after Phil has fallen asleep and shoots him and kills him while he's sleeping. She freaks out. She goes and visits Ron Douglas and she tells him, listen, like I just killed Phil. It's like 3 a.m. at this point and she's freaking out. Can you imagine someone showing up wasted on your doorstep? Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, she was clearly intoxicated and had just snorted cocaine. Oh, no. And because of Bryn's, you know, outbursts in the past, Ron, he didn't believe her at first. He's like, okay, you're freaking out. You're wasted. Yeah, so I don't know how long they're together. And she, I guess, either insisted that this really happened or whatever, but the both of them get in the car and drive back to the Harmon's home. (sighs) Meanwhile, their children have been there the whole time. Yeah, she left them alone. Yeah, (laughs) I just thought of that. I'm like, (sighs) they were there alone. Yeah, Um, she just took off. They could have yeah. wandered in there. I don't know how old they were, but they like were young. Oh my god, that is just so. They drive back and go inside, and Ron sees that she has been telling the truth, and he calls nine one one. By this point, Bryn is losing it, freaking out. She locks herself in the bedroom where Phil is, lays down next to him, and takes her own life with the same gun that oh. she had used to kill Phil. Those poor kids. Yeah, they were taken and raised by family members after the incident. At least there's that. But Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe the children were under six. Okay. Damn. Had Chris Farley already passed away? 98. Yeah, I believe Farley passed away in 97. So he's also like grieving the loss of a very close friend. Yeah. While trying to manage through this like volatile and abusive relationship yeah and he was starting that new show that you were talking about or he was in that news radio yeah Yeah. i believe after his passing they had to um rid of his character on the show yeah the character had a heart attack or something yeah on the show but lovitz was destroyed yeah lovitz anybody i'm sure as was everybody who worked with him or knew him because it sounds like he was a very kind person Yeah, he seemed to be liked by everybody. It seems like such an unfortunate circumstance that that him and Bryn met, really. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, so that's the tragic death of Phil Hartman. Jesus, what a horrible, horrible... I, I just, like, I know that she was also struggling with substance abuse, but it just is terrible that even in recovery, she wasn't able to do the work on herself to get to the root of, like, the anger and these deeper-seated issues that she obviously had. Yeah, and it's such a, not difficult, it's such a tender and raw circumstance, like, to be in addiction and you have I don't know I'm just like she already had something that was troubling her yeah and it exact it's exacerbated by the drugs and the alcohol because not everybody gets angry when they drink and not everybody also like mixing prescription medication and alcohol is very dangerous damn such a comedy legend gone way too soon and unfortunately i feel like that was happening a lot in those days because chris farley had passed away and i think did john belushi 
Belushi, Gilda Radner, that was years before, notably though, passed away, well, I believe, on the cast. Yeah, it's just a testament of the time. Yeah. Too, like, I feel like now Hollywood is in Hollywood like it used to be. Like, it used to be, like, the Viper Room. Not like I was there or anything. I was a child. Yeah. But, but <laughs> like, the, the Viper the Room stories and... of Hollywood in the 80s, similar to, like, Studio 54. No phones. No, no one snapped. Like, you could be in the throes of heavy addiction and it is so normal. It's, it's just part of the party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there's definitely pockets of that now, but it seems very, like, watered down. It's behind the scenes. People are not visible with what they're doing because they control, like, their social media and stuff. It was a flamboyant thing. Like, it wasn't as hidden, I feel like, when Belushi and Farley and it's yeah. like people are like, yeah, he's coming fucked up to the show. Yes. Yeah. Like, Sam but... Kinison. Is that another? Sam Kinison. I love him so much. Yeah, he uh, totaled his car. Yeah. God. He wasn't drunk. He was hit by a drunk driver, I think. In That's a, terrible. A twisted form of irony. Yeah. yeah, damn. Well, thank you for doing the research on that and bringing it. Super appreciate you doing that. Yeah, of course. And so odd <laughs> that uh, <laughs> we had the same case in mind to talk about. I know. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, friends. If you'd like to support the podcast, we're on Patreon. You can buy me a Red Bull if you'd like to give the pod wings in the Instagram bio. There's a link there. And Rachel, do you have a high point for this week to close us out? Yeah, I do. We're planning Audrey's first birthday, which is exciting. Yeah. It's already going to be one. I can't believe that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel like I was pregnant for over You were a year. pregnant the first time we recorded the podcast together. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Yep. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm going to my herbalism class. I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Let's see. What's my high point? I guess I would have to say that my high point is these five surprise mini brand balls <laughs> that I've unexpectedly gotten really into. <laughs> it's a very pure joy to find something that you love in a cute little miniature form. And yeah, it's been pretty fun. I did not have the best luck last time. They're cute. It's it's what, a nice time. Uh, I enjoy favorite one? The favorite one that I have. I really love my little icy that I found. Yes. <laughs> um, I also have, there's so many. I have a little Lunchables that's just <laughs> adorable. <laughs> there's a little baby ranch bottle yeah there's so many that are just really cute mini stuff is just cute you know what i mean yeah for real yeah i bought a little shop so i have all my my items set up on the shelves and it's just so freaking cute it's beautiful when i am stressed it's really nice to just like take everything down and then redo it it takes a (laughs) while to like get everything placed just right so that's also been pretty soothing sort of like a zen garden you know yeah it's like coloring yes yeah exactly (laughs) well friends thank you so much for tuning in 